I don't, I don't talk about the past too much. Yeah. Cause, like, oh, all this make making music stuff again is is turned out to be really kind of random. So it's kind of cool to talk about some of this. And I think the last time I really talked about this, I was high on mushrooms, and it was for Time Magazine, and I threatened to kill somebody, and it was super fucked up. So, um, yeah, we can talk about this stuff. It's kind of funny. Why were you, why were you interviewed for time for time in Time magazine? That's that's a good Jesus. place to start. <laughs> um, fucking hell. Okay, so I had this record store back like twenty years ago, right? And I think that's that's how. Um, and this is this had, this is strange records in uh, on on Sixth Street or Seventh Street, Ninth Ninth Street. No, it was on it was on Ninth Street and right off Avenue A in. Uh, Shit, 93 to 99, 94 to 2000. Sometimes it's hard, like, and I apologize if I get some of these dates wrong or if I get some of the names wrong because some of this is, is 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And 
it, I'm not trying to be malicious. I'm not trying to like confuse things. Dude, it was 20 years ago yeah, and it's been a bad. long 20 years. <laughs> Dude, like seriously. It's, and, and really a lot of the stuff that happened back then was pretty crazy. So I didn't write it down. I didn't want people to know. I didn't, it's a lot, a lot of fucked up shit. But so, uh, we get, you know, it was dance music. It was the Lower East Side, the rave scene, drugs, techno, whatever. People were always trying to talk to, you know, coming in to interview you or right. undercover cops are trying to come in to bust you or the DEA was sitting outside watching you or something, you know, really crazy stuff. I mean, and for you and for younger people who might be who might be listening, what what was the general like, you know, because they, they they're pro- anyone who lives in New York now who 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 wasn't there for that time. What was the general vibe of the neighborhood at that at that time? What kind of people were around there? Like, oh, fuck, dude. When we opened the store, um, I think the rent was six hundred and fifty dollars a month. OK. And it was right at the corner of of Ninth and Avenue A. It's right across the street from Tompkins Square Park. Um, the store next to us was a drug spot. The store two doors down, store next to us on the other side was this uh, clothing store. And the dude had been making these crazy clothes since the 80s and done work like some of the graphic stuff for the early Madonna stuff. Real uh, Snake, I think his name was. But like old school Lower East Side. It was still, when I got to New York, it was... I thought the um, like what I wanted to see in New York, I thought was gone, and I thought New York was dead. And when you know, it's like 1993. When did you move to New York? I moved there in '93, and I started going there from Chicago on a regular basis in '91. Okay. And you know, I wanted CBGBs, I wanted the Mud Club, I wanted Danceteria, I wanted the Peppermint Lounge. All that was gone. All of that was dead, and. You know, there was Continental and there was there was CBGBs, but it was like it wasn't the punk CBGBs. It wasn't the like agnostic front CBGBs. It was like degeneration glam rock CBGBs, right? which was super cool. And now in hindsight, people talk about that time and people talk about that era. But that wasn't what I was going there for. I was I had missed what I wanted and I didn't realize what I was involved in was people were going to be talking about 20 years later. But. When we opened, the first day we opened, there was this Jamaican reggae record store <laughs> two doors down. And the dude came in and was like, we're the only reggae st- We're the only record store on this street. We're like, no, no, dude, we're a record store. He's like, no, no, we're the only record store on this street. <laughs> we're like, no, dude, we're selling records. This isn't a dope spot. You're cool. Yeah, yeah. And it was uh, lots of drugs, lots of crime, lots of... I mean, it was still, you know, homeless people in Tompkins Square Park, uh, dope spots. I thought it was cleaned up. It wasn't as bad as you'd see footage from the 70s, but you would still, like now, like as as the person I am today, I'd be scared shitless to be down there if it was, you know, I remember walking over, and this is super fucked up, but and you do these things when you're young because you're a badass or you think you're tough or whatever. I remember seeing a dead body in front of the bodega around the corner and just like stepping over the dude and just like, oh yeah, there's a dead body. Right. And how fucked up, I mean, that's a fucked up thing. Sure. But that wasn't something that was 
out of place then. And I think what was cool, I mean, what we were able to do at that time, you know, we didn't have a sign for the first two years, three years maybe. I mean, we had like something in the window. We didn't have a sign. The windows were blacked out. We'd close up the store and throw parties after hours. You know, like the cops didn't really come down there. Mm-hmm. The, you know, you could get away with a lot of stuff on the Lower East Side because it was still the Lower East Side. You'd go, you know, below Avenue A and it was still super fucked up. So the first weekend we opened, the Aphex Twin played in the store. Okay. And going back to like, I didn't know what the fuck I had gotten myself into. And everybody's taking this shit real serious. Again, you can't even imagine how crazy. I mean, at the time, you don't think it's crazy. At the time, you're a kid and you're, you're doing the things that kids do. But um, so you don't think that it's, you're totally out of control. And you don't think that what's going on is completely insane. It's completely insane. Like the Lower East Side was a weird place because my friends were like punks. And Pete's friends were like these English techno people. And at first, when we first opened, we sold like, we tried like the first week, we were going to try and be more like a um, kind of what they did with other music a few years later, where we'd sell everything, you know, black metal and experimental music and techno and, you know, imports and stuff. But within a week, that, that just was out the door. You know, all of the electronic stuff sold and all the black metal sat there. So it, that all just got, got thrown in the trash. And, like, actually, you know, just, just got rid of it. But uh, because uh, we were in, a, like, a bad neighborhood, <laughs> it's funny to say that that neighborhood is a bad neighborhood. But, like, because we were, like, in the shitty part of town and we were super, like, fucked up. Like, you know, you you would go to other stores and they were much more like business. So we were fucked up kids listening to fucked up music to Lower East Side shit. And I think now we, that was the end of that era. You know, you can't, you couldn't just sit there and do drugs and break bottles and, and blast hardcore techno all day down there anymore you just couldn't and i remember do you know uh andrea true connection that more 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 song yeah that old disco song she lived across the street oh. right and she would call the cops on us all the time for being loud and fucked up and i didn't know who she was i'm just like fuck that lady you know and then i was like wait a second why are you why are you saying this to us? You this is your fault. You started this. You know, like you're one of the old disco. <laughs> <laughs> there was always crazy shit like that that was happening.
And how did it and and how did it come about that you were even decided to to go, come from Chicago to New York to to open a record store? Was it by just well, chance that you opened up the shop? Was it planned? How did you fall into? Oh that fuck thing? no no shit no none of nothing was no fuck no it was totally it was real random. I was in this industrial band in Chicago with this my friend Mark. What, um, what, what was it? Do you want to, what was the name of it? Dude? Do you want to, oh God, no, God, no. Okay. I'll talk now. Okay. <laughs> it was, it was one of those like just fucked up noise bands that, from the the eighties. Okay. But, um, now, nah, so Mark was working at bleak. Mark came out to New York and he was working at bleaker Bob's and he got me a job at bleaker Bob's, which was, um, a low, uh, East village record store. Like it was the classic record collector store. They there was an episode of Seinfeld where they made fun of it, and it was where you could go get, you know, whatever records you were looking for, you could get it at Bleaker Bob's. It was one of the first places to really like five hundred dollar punk singles and thousand dollar. It's rumored yeah. that Bleaker Bob dated Madonna. Can you confirm that? No, that's no, that's totally true. He, it's, dude, Bob was super fucked up. Bob was a super. I mean. I don't mean to speak ill of him because, you know, he gave me a job and, and all that. Bob was a super fucked up dude. He had a Polaroid, a nude Polaroid of Madonna in his wallet to prove to you right. that he had been with Madonna. Like, I, I mean, I've heard through the years from many different record people that, 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 that he had a, an affair or a relationship with her, but I never knew the, the truth to it. <laughs> so here we have I <laughs> I have seen the picture. It's... He he embellished a lot of stories. He was a, I mean, Bleaker Bob's was a classic old school New York store, and he was, uh, dude, it was crazy. Sid Vicious worked there. The um, what's the guy from the Patty Smith Group? Lenny Kay from the Patty Smith Group worked there. Lots of one of the dudes from Underworld worked there. One of the guys that started A One worked there. This guy Rob. Yeah. Um, the British guy Rob, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, Rob was super. Rob was super chill. He was in Spiral Tribe and stuff for a little while. He was, he was a real cool guy. So there, and um, there's something I never, I never knew that. Okay, that's yeah, interesting. yeah. He DJed with he DJed some of the early Spiral Tribe parties. Interesting. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of people came through Bleaker Bob's. It was, it was a. I mean, it was. Dude, it was one of the play. I mean, it was a shitty store. The dude would rip you off fucking blindly. He he sicked his Doberman on me one day. I mean, it was a fucked up place to work. But, you know, coming from Chicago, you know, I was now a record store guy, like a legit record store guy. And he there was a T-shirt store in the back that he was trying to get rid of. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had pulled an unemployment scam and I had a little bit of money and my uh, my partner at the time had some money and we were going to kind of open up the t-shirt store in the back of Bleaker Bob's and it just seemed real shady. Um, but Pete, this, the, my, my initial partner in strange was like, well, let's open a record store and I kind of, you know, fucked with the idea of it, but I ended up going to London in 93 and I would go back and forth all the time because you could fly there for like a hundred bucks. So I was going to London and my partner was living in London at the time, I think. And I went to London 
to like kind of hang out with the punks and and I wasn't really into techno then. It was real like I can front and be like, oh yeah, you know, I went to the warehouse in Chicago and all this shit like that. And I did. I grew up in Chicago. Everybody went there. Right. But I wasn't I wasn't really into it. I was into the party that you went to because it was something to do, basically. Well, there were some goth girls that worked there, so I went to hang out with okay. them. <laughs> Look, I, I I mean, you know, e- I I went to art school in Chicago, right right downtown, right near where they had a lot of the the early acid house parties, right out of like right in, right you know eighty six, but it wasn't my scene. I was into at that point like noise, you know, like White House and like power electronics and crazy noise stuff. So I wasn't really into house music, but when I got to New York, one of the things you know I had had all these synthesizers and was in these like noise bands in in New York. And so as I'm hearing like the early kind of warp records and the early like ambient records, I got really into that music and I could relate to it because I didn't dance. And where were you you hearing those records? Were you just buying them for the shop or you heard them from friends or how how did you go? We were getting them at Bleaker Bob's. Was that? We'd get get them at Bleaker Bob's. Gotcha. And, you know, they had a little electronic section and most of it was kind of centered on the more experimental end of things. You know, we'd get like the Sako CDs and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, wait, they're making electronic music that's not for people to dance to. It's just like experimental. Oh, fuck. I'm totally into this. So um, I went to went over to England, came back and... uh was toying with this idea and then it was right around shit this is where the years get weird i i had gone out with harry from watts music he was kind of this famous record dude and he we went to this rave and i had never really done it i mean i had gone to them in chicago but didn't really give a fuck and i was straight edge then which is kind of really important here because i was a straight edge kid and um went to this party with these guys and Took E, sounds super fucking cheesy now. And, <laughs> right, and so I'm, I'm like high for the first time in my life. And I'm out with these like, we went out, like Jeff Mills was like sitting at this table and all this crazy shit, right? And I'm like, I'm going to open a record store. This and I'm in fucked London up. now, you're in London. No, 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 this, no, this is in New York. Okay. And I'm telling all these New York people that I'm going to open a record store. And I don't realize who I'm sitting there with because... Dude, I I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'm fucked up out of my mind. And people are like taking this shit real fucking seriously because I'm out with these like record distributor guys and big DJs. I don't, you know, I'm just like, I'm this kid. I don't know what's going on. So my partner gets back from London like a couple weeks later and I'm like all into this. And I'd gone out like every night for the next two weeks. And I'm like, we're going to open a record store. We're going to do this. We're going to change the world. We're going to make this. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to do this. And she's like, okay. So we found a little storefront on the Lower East Side, and we, we opened this fucked up store.
because I came from this from a different angle, I think. You know, the groove people came at it from Frankie Bones, from Adam, I mean, from Bones, from Bones Break. In, and from, in New York, yeah. But you were coming yes. from a completely outside background, being in punk Com- and, and noise and industrial. Yeah, my, um, completely outside of it. My uncle had one of the first synthesizers and he would teach academic electronic music to the colleges in like 78, 77, 78. Okay. So I grew up really like in 1980, he gave me this huge stack of records, you know, like stuff on none such and just crazy. And I shouldn't say crazy. I don't, I don't mean a pejorative way, but just like academic heavy electronic music you know he gave me my first copy of metal machine music as a little kid and all of these magazines you know it's 1980 and i'm listening to eno and i'm listening to you know i'm i'm not listening to regular music so when i kind of when what i added to all of that i think was this encyclopedic no, uh, that sounds super fucking pretentious. I take that back. <laughs> but like, you know, when I'm listening to ambient music, I'm listening to it because it sounds like Eno. I'm not listening to it. What? Uh, well, I was listening to it because I was trying to come down off drugs. But like I could talk about it. I could frame it in a different sense. And so my end of it or my take on it was always much more like, oh, here, you should listen to this. You know, not e- listen to E2, E4 because it's, the house record, right. but because it's like Ashra Temple or because it's, you know, it's Tangerine Dream related. And so I came at it from that end. Right. You're not from so, the disco end of it. Like Frankie's from the no. disco end of it, from the roller yeah. skating disco end. Well, you're, you're actually coming from the, the synthesis end of it. If yeah. to be. No, exactly from that. So a lot of the, you know, it was the Lower East Side was still, rent controlled and there were still people from the 60s there you know those kind of odd just weird 60s hippie people that they were into electronics and experimental things because that that's where they came from so there was a lot of that all of a sudden coming in and a lot of people from that era coming back and being reintroduced to electronic music so it was actually this kind of neat thing that you know, you'd see crusties coming in and you'd see punks coming in and you would see old hippies coming in and you would see like the guy from Suicide would come in mm-hmm. or, you know, stuff like that. Like more of the New York, it was more of a Lower East Side New York vibe than a Brooklyn disco vibe or a New York nightlife vibe. Right. It was it was more of a like kind of like hello. leftover freaks who are still yeah. able to live there. Yeah, yeah.
one of the tracks uh, we just listened to is Drexia High Tide. I'm just um, I'm just wondering why, in particular, that track um, stuck with you through through all these years. Um, okay, uh, dude, it's um, so we went to Detroit for the Metroplex party when that record had just come out. It was like the tenth. Well, I was just talking about that. Um, and I got this DJ Rolando Underground Resistance mixtape that that track was on, and then hung out with the UR guys and bought a you know here get this get this get this, and being super naive about this and being like, what's good, and getting a stack of records, and uh, we spent the entire weekend driving around listening to this tape. We'd flip it over and flip it over and flip it over and flip it over, and. Uh, it's just the fucking best track ever made. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I mean, a lot of a lot of that stuff doesn't stand the test of time. Um, a lot of the a lot of records just don't stand the test of time. You, but that is super fucking heavy. It's super fucking heavy. I I have the equipment to do that. I own all those those synths. You can copy the pattern. You can't fucking do that. You cannot fucking do that. That record. You cannot fucking do that. And it's just, it's out of fucking control. It's heavy as shit. It's super mean. You know for a fact that it's legit. There's no, it, it, it's, the re, it's the real thing. It's the real as you're going to fucking get. And um, my copy of it, it's so fucked up, dude. All my records are just, just, like I have a bunch of records, but people are like, oh, he's got this, dude, my record collection is terrible. My copy of that, I chipped. <laughs> and the intro's got a like a thumb-sized notch out of it, which takes it from being like a $1,000 record to like garbage, but it's my copy. <laughs> and I got it from fucking UR. And they, it was one of those ones you, um, you go into the, you could only get them from the store. You could only get them from uh, somewhere in Detroit and you'd have to get, get them in person and they wouldn't even sell them to everybody. It was really fucking wild. Like, you'd see people go in to buy the records and they'd be like, no, we're not selling that to you. Right. But they'd sell it to another person standing. It was real. Somewhere in Detroit was real fucking heavy. Like, it was really inspirational. I came back from that trip and painted the windows on the store black and was like, we're not going to tell anybody we're here. This is real. This is how it's done. Which is corny because I was just ripping off Underground Resistance. But <laughs> at the time, it seemed really legit. You know, I was like, this is the proper way to do techno. But if you think about it, like, it, it was special. And it was, you had to be there at the time. And it's an, both as a track on its own. It's, it's an amazing track. And it, it really is one of my all-time favorite tracks. It's intrinsically tied to a great weekend with, one of my best friends. Um, but it also, it represents a time where you had to make an effort to be part of this. And it represents a time where you had to, you had to leave the house if you wanted this. And I remember one time I'd ordered a bunch of records for the shop from Submerge and they sent us some of the somewhere in Detroit records and they called up and asked for me to send them back. They're like, we sent those to you in error. We can't have them sold outside of Detroit. You need to send them back. 
And I was just like, you know, at first I want to be like, fuck you, dude, I've got these and I'm making money. Yeah, yeah. But then I was like, you don't cross, you are. You don't cross these fucking people. This is, you know, like, you don't step up. And nobody's got that kind of reputation anymore. You know, you don't, there, there used to be like a kind of like, you don't fuck with these people, but nobody's got that re- reputation anymore, but they do. And that, rep- that record, man, that, that represents all of it right there.
Ron Trent's The Afterlife. Um, huge, huge track, highly influential to a lot of people, and it seems like it resonated with you hugely as well. So um, I got my copy of that. You know what's weird is I would go back to Chicago, and you used to be able to get tracks records and warehouse records, and like you could like DJ International record, you could get that stuff for like ten cents. That was those were like dollar bin records. Well, you don't have dollar bins anymore, but dude, you could you could go back, you could go to Chicago at one point and buy those by the case, and it's one of those records that. You know, I don't have a I don't have a lot of fancy equipment, but I've got like the old basics, right? I've got a Juno and a 909, a 706, all that kind of stupid shit. I couldn't make that fucking record in a million years. And even today, like you listen to records and it's just, it has the kind of emotion that a lot of music doesn't have. And it's super simple. I mean, it's, it's a it's a string and it's a drum machine and it's a bass line. There's not a lot going on. And there's not a lot of processing. There's not a lot of anything. But you can feel what's happening there. And most of the music I really like is it's either super like it, it has some intent behind it and it has some it has some feelings behind it and it's and that's just, it's a real primitive record. It's real basic. It's just, it's just a couple of patterns and he's probably playing the patterns live. I mean, if if you listen close to a lot of those early records, the tracks records and stuff, you hear, you can hear the pause buttons. You can hear the, like the counts off and the pattern should have jumped at one point or another. And that's one of those tracks that it's like, you can just see that guy in his house pushing a couple of buttons and been like, time to change pattern. It's time to change pattern. And the, the keyboard lines aren't there. Dude, it's not like he did that in fucking Ableton and everything is on the grid. That, that, that's alive. That's, that's organic. That's, that's a super, super human sounding electronic record. And it, it's something that just, I, you're never going to capture that. You're, you're, that only have, I mean, that kind of shit only happens once, right? It's just, it's perfect record. It's, and out of all of that, you know, like, how do you, oh, pick some records. It's like, well, dude, this is one I would listen to, you know, it's just, it's a perfect record. I mean, I could never make music that good. I, I could never do that. It's fucking amazing. Eternal God, we approach thee.
by New York City via Albany's Born Against. Uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about about your your life and times with Born Against. Isn't this why I got signed to the label? <laughs> um, <laughs> the production on that record is just unbelievable. Those old Don Fury records, those old New York hardcore records. But rather than being the kind of New York hardcore kind of agnostic front Cro-Mags kind of, they were, it's a little bit different and a little bit more political and a little bit more. Right. Well, it was the like shit talking. It was the uh, reaction. It was the reaction, right? To reactionary stuff towards the, the knuckle headedness of the uh the jock style of of like sick of it all and 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 the likes at that time um you're you're being super diplomatic i'm trying to be diplomatic because i like <laughs> i'm friends with i'm friends with some of those old new york guys and i don't want to be like a oh, fucking meathead yeah, no. i'm friends with them and they're nice guys and as grown-ups they're nice guys and yeah. some of them got infected and, it, and they're chilling and I, again man you're a kid and you you're mean and you're fucked up and your parents are fighting and you're you're being a dick to people and i totally understand but born against was a super they took that new york hardcore that knuckle dragging mean new york hardcore it was a little bit more intelligent a little bit more political they're part of the abc no rio scene which i always wanted to play at abc no rio and be in a hardcore band but in techno i got to i got to play at abc there were these kids black cat sound system they were squatters on the lower east side and they had they ran the steelless radio radio show that was a pirate radio station out of one of the squats um and were the last of the old New York hippies and old New York crusted squatter rot people and, and shit like that. Right. But then there were some of them got into techno and Jason Black Cat and Arrow and Chrome. All these people were all like putting our version of electronic music. They were doing in, in squats down there and, on their, and they played were, it on the east side. They were on their own shit like – completely yeah. isolated from like the, the let's say the conventional techno scene of of what was happening they were just oh completely they were they were on they were more spiral tribe than frankie bones right and definitely poli like political activist anarchist black you know like black block squatters and they were into techno so they i, I dude they're fucking super chill and uh but yeah, I got to play at ABC. But but born again, going back to born again. God damn. But they were one of that forty five when that when I found that and I, it came with a magazine. I think when it first came out, and I didn't get my copy. Didn't come with a magazine, and I paid ninety nine cents for it. And it was one of the most life changing dollars I have ever. I didn't even spend a dollar. I spent ninety nine cents. Changed my fucking life. And. The people I met through that 45, the experiences I had because I bought that 45, I can't underestimate how important that record was to me. And then it's just out of fucking control. Like it's so, it's so fucking raw and so fucking heavy. Like when I try to make music and like I say try because I, I – I'm not that good at it. I'm not going to, but, 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 like, but that's the truth of it. I want to, you know, I don't want to make techno that sounds like a lab works record from 92. I don't care about that. And I don't want to make acid. That sounds like a tracks record. That shit's already been done, you know, and it's been done better than me. I, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I, I want to sound like 
that Born Against 45. I want to sound like the first Crucifix album. I want to sound like Motorhead because that's mostly what I listen to. But like the production and just how heavy that is and how the bass just like swings in. Fucking Christ, man. That's just, it's, that record's just out of control. Plus it, it was a life changer for me with all my friends. <laughs> 